Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. It has been a while since we've recorded, and it's nice to sit down and know that we're about to chat books for the first time in a couple weeks. It is nice. I I love that we build in breaks, but it does always feel like a long stretch when we go without recording. And this is the first fall episode that we're recording when it actually feels like fall outside. (laughs) Yes, you're under a blanket. I'm wearing a very cozy sweater. (laughs) It's true. But I'm really excited to talk about Love Medicine by Louise Erdrich. Because she is one of those authors that's just been on my list for a really long time. I've only read one of her books, but she's quite prolific. And this is what we call a modern classic. I forget the year that it was published, but it was definitely more recent than a lot of the books that we talk about. Um, 1993? And I think that is the revised edition. The first edition came out in the 80s. And she's published two subsequent revisions since then, which is really interesting and something I definitely want to chat more about. Yeah, I find that fascinating. There were a couple of notes in the back of this edition that I have from my library about that specifically from Louise herself. And yeah, I think that whole practice is really fascinating. And the fact that she's revisited these stories and rearranged them is that's just wild to me. So yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to talk about that with you for sure. It's just it's just so fascinating. It's just so so different than a lot of the works that we've talked about or that we've both taught where there are these untouchable canonical books that I I don't know. I mean, it's just so different to have a living author who's going back and and tweaking and adding. So but before we get into those specifics Should we give a little summary of Love Medicine for people who haven't read it yet or who haven't read it in a while? I think we should. All right. Louise Erdrich is a member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa, which is a tribe of the Anishinaabe, also known as Ojibwe. And she is a prolific novelist. She's a poet and also a children's author. I think that a lot of people probably come to her work by reading The Birchbark House when they're little. And Love Medicine is her first published adult novel. It's described as a series of family portraits, and I think that that's so accurate. And Love Medicine is basically a collection of short stories, but they're interconnected and they span the generations of two families, the Cashpaws and the Lamartines. And these stories deal with small family dramas, big ones, and they depict the characters' backstories, the romances and relationships between these two families as they interact and intermingle over decades. There's drama and a little bit of humor, there's spirituality and history in between the pages, and this novel 
like I said, could easily be read as a collection of short stories rather than a novel in and of itself. Yeah, there's so much in this book and the way she shifts tones and points of view is really compelling and and fascinating. I I loved reading this book. It was my first time reading Love Medicine and and yours as well. But had you read Louise Erdrich before? I listened to La Rose on audiobook. And I really liked that. I thought that it was an excellent book and the audiobook experience was really unique. But that was it. I hadn't read any of her other work, maybe a few poems here and there. I knew of her and I have taken classes on her tribe on the Turtle Mountain Band um, of the Anishinaabe people. Um, That was one of the required classes for my education degree in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so the professor was a member of the same tribe as Erdrich. And I wish that as part of that class, we were reading her literature. The class was just an overview of Minnesota Native American tribes. Um, But I, I really wish that her literature had been a part of that curriculum. But I at least was introduced to her name through that course. So that's how I came to Erdrich's work. That is so, so cool. I didn't know you'd taken that class. And I think we should have a whole episode about using novels and reading fiction in non-literature classes (laughs) because I've long believed that novels in history and civics and I even read a novel in a science class in college. They can just really deepen your understanding of the material. That is so cool. And I'm glad you at least got to come to Erdrich now. Yeah. Which books, or I think you've said you you read Erdrich before. Which book did you read before? I've only read one actually, and it was just last month. So I was fully planning on Love Medicine being my first Erdrich book. It is her first novel. So that was my thinking was I I would read that. But then her newest book, The Night Watchman, is a submission for the Aspen Words Prize. And so I actually read it recently. And I also listened to it on audio. She narrates that. And I loved hearing her narrate the audiobook. I felt like there were moments of humor and levity that I picked up on with her narration that I definitely wouldn't have otherwise. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed reading The Night Watchman. And it was pretty interesting to read her newest and then come back and read her first book, like in a span of a couple of weeks. So that's my only experience with her. And I'm definitely going to be reading more of her work, though. I I really enjoyed her writing in both instances. We had both chosen this book because we sort of split our back-to-school season up into categories, and this one fell under a book that we wish we would have read in high school. So I'm curious, now that we've read it, to revisit that idea and ponder what about the book fits that category for us? Do we think that it would have been a good high school read? And where where do we see this fitting in with classroom reading? Yeah, I, I think when 
we initially chose this in that category, part of my thinking was really more like broad picture and categorical. Like I have, I didn't read any indigenous authors in my high school English classes. And I think that a lot of English curriculum around the, the country has that same gap. And that was largely what I, what I thought of when I was thinking what I wish I had read in high school. And the other is that, like you mentioned, Louise Erdrich is such a prolific writer. She's one of the, the great living American writers. And I heard her name and knew that she was prolific and that she was award-winning, but nobody had ever pushed me to read one of her books. And I, I find that so, so strange. So those were the reasons I, I thought this book initially fit into that category. And yeah, I, how about you? Similar reasons. I don't remember reading any Native American lit in, in school at all. And even in college, as yeah. I was reflecting back on the course that I took in my education program, that was a half credit course that was just an overview of the history of Native Americans in the state of Minnesota. It was brief. It was not nearly in-depth enough. And that was it. Yeah. And there should have been way more. So I I definitely wish that I would have come to Erdrich's work sooner and in a classroom so that there would be that opportunity for discussion and to hear from an expert professor. But I do think it probably would have fit in better in college rather than high school. We really didn't know much about this book going into it. It's incredibly sexual. <laughs> there was a lot of content in here. I didn't think anything was graphic or explicit. I no. think that certain stories would have worked really well in high school, but I certainly don't think I would have been mature enough to appreciate it in the same way as I would have been coming to this course in, say, a post-colonial literature class in college or um, something something like that. So I don't know if it would have fit the best in high school compared to maybe some of her other works, but I do really wish that I would have would have had more of an encounter with her in college, especially because I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There were probably a bunch of author events that I could have gone to and <laughs> totally. just, they were not on my radar. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this book could potentially work in high school, depending on the teacher, depending on the, the class. And high school me probably would have responded to this similarly to how I did a book like Their Eyes Were Watching God where it wasn't that the sexual nature of the book would have necessarily made me uncomfortable, but like you said, it's mature. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of nuance and gray area that this book explores with sexuality and infidelity. And, and all of those, I think, would be hard for a teenager to really fully grapple with. But I'm sure there are classrooms that bring this in, and I'm sure there are teachers who do an excellent job unpacking all of that. I think it probably just really depends on a school culture and community. Mm -hmm. I, I also think, I mean, this is a challenging text. You open it up and you look at that family tree, and I was already <laughs> overwhelmed and I hadn't even, hadn't even started reading yet. But that's not to say that teenagers can't handle stories that are structured 
in a non-linear way. And in fact, I think reading stories that are not told in that classic linear style, I think that that's really important. So yeah, I don't think that that should disqualify this book either, but it is really complicated. It's very complicated. I, I actually was reminded quite a bit of a lot of Faulkner works when I was reading in terms of the nonlinear mm. style and the multiple points of view and kind of having to wait until the end to have a full picture of, of what's going on. So I do think that we often expect teens to do that with, with some some works that we've deemed canonical for whatever <laughs> reason. But yes, I mean, I kept a bookmark at that family tree and kept flipping back. And I completely agree with you that it probably mm-hmm. wasn't until halfway through the book that I was like, oh, now I understand the family tree. I do wonder if that family tree was published with the very first edition. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe that was added later. or Maybe it was part of part of the book all along but it was incredibly helpful so for anyone who's listening to this episode as a preview before they read the book definitely definitely refer to that family tree often and like you said Sarah it makes more sense the way that the family tree is set up as the book goes on so you don't have to get it right away and it reminded me of reading Beloved in that way where I often didn't quite understand what was going on. Not just in a who is this person kind of way, but in a tossed into a sort of mystical or spiritual experience that the character was having kind of way. And I really, I actually liked that feeling. And I was reminded of when I was reading Beloved and I was like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm into it and I'm interested. Yeah, absolutely. I felt exactly the same way. And I I felt similarly when I listened to The Night Watchman as well, that I would be disoriented for for Mm -hmm. a stretch of time and then either get my bearings or just be able to enjoy that ride and the images and themes that the book is creating, those came across so clear throughout the entire thing. It was sometimes the details that were murky, and I was okay with that. I think that the beauty of Erdrich's writing was part of what carried me along without... I didn't feel like I was pulled under. I just felt like I could float on the beauty of her language and enjoy meeting these people and sort of experiencing these things with them and not have to get it. There was no pressure to get it as I was reading. I was just content to really just enjoy the experience. And it was a very experiential, I mean, her language is so rich and vivid and descriptive. I I really liked this book a lot more than I was even expecting to. I feel the same way. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the people we met in this book. Did you have a favorite character or an, or narrator or story even? I don't know if I could pick out a favorite story. I was, and I don't even know if I could pick a favorite narrator, though I was astounded at the subtle changes that Erdrich would make to make the narrator stand out and differentiate them from the others. She had 
very distinct voices throughout the book. I think I was most interested in anything featuring Marie or Lulu. Those are kind of the two women around which everything else happens and they seem to be the anchor points for a lot of the narrative. A lot of the men sort of go in and out of their lives and I I was most interested in those women. Especially Marie's narrative really close to the beginning about her experience at the convent. And it was it a convent or was she so some characters, she was at a convent and then some characters were in government schools or um, often those government schools would be like affiliated with uh, religion. So sometimes the details around that were a bit murky, but you got the sense that like, you know, that obviously these are based on true, yeah. true events. Um, but yeah, the convent story was, that was a ride. <laughs> It was a ride, and that, at least in my edition, was the second chapter, and Mm -hmm. I was grateful that came early on because then I knew, okay, this is going to be a ride, and just trust Erdrich, and there were multiple times throughout that story where I was like, did I read that right? Wait, what? Mm -hmm. And then... I I settled into it and I loved Marie too and found that story both horrifying and darkly funny at times. I mean, I I don't know if I would have read it the same way had I not just listened to Louise Erdrich narrate her other book. But there were moments in in that one, The Night Watchman, where I was like, this is horrifying. But the way she was reading it was with this dark, sarcastic humor. And I'm so grateful I had that experience because I could kind of see that that's what she was doing in some of these stories as well. I'm glad that you mentioned humor because I do think there were quite a few winks almost. Dark humor is a good way to put it, but I I almost just think Erdrich is so good at creating fully realized people Yes, that just feel so real. And humor is part of the human experience. So of course, that's just naturally incorporated into these characters. And yes. it almost just kind of felt like that, like the everyday simple humor or laughing because life is ridiculous, not because something's particularly funny. But there was this humorous element that I didn't pick up on in La Rose. I don't think that it's in all of her work, but definitely in these stories, it didn't seem, even though there were really serious things going on, it didn't seem like things were always being taken too seriously. Yeah, I think the way you describe it is exactly right. It's not that the narration even has that humor. It's that the characters are somehow able to view these strange, uncanny, sometimes horrifying moments of their life through a slightly humorous lens. And and it just feels so real where sometimes things are just, you just have to laugh. You just have to look at 
the world with a side eye and not take certain things too seriously because they're unbelievable. And that that point of view really comes out in these characters because, as you said, they're just so fully realized. And also, humor is a coping mechanism. It's a trauma response. Every character in this collection of stories, I have a hard time even calling it a novel because it really feels like a short story collection where they're just all connected. But every character in this book has experienced really terrible trauma of various varieties. We have characters who were forced to attend the horrific government schools. We have characters who went to war and came home with invisible wounds from that. We have characters who experienced other violence. I mean, there's so much trauma in here. And I have to think partly that the humor that runs through is part of that, part of the response to that trauma and part of the coping mechanism that a lot of these characters are using. Absolutely. I I think that's, that's completely right because often those moments of humor come out in the moments where there is the most trauma or the most pain. I I do think the structure, we keep kind of talking about it as short stories or a novel or what what is it really? I I think that is really interesting to unpack as well. I mean, so she does have Erdrich has a couple other books that she's published as stories and then this one she calls a novel and it definitely to me as well reads a bit more like a collection of short stories but I was wondering too as I was thinking about this if my brain has such a like British novel definition of novel and I like this idea that Erdrich is telling a different type of novel, a different type of story, where it's the story of this community, but it's still kind of one arching story. I don't know. I I just, I think for me, you can definitely read these at short as short stories, and I would 100% especially encourage people who aren't sure they want to pick up Erdrich or teachers who might want to teach her to pull out individual ones. But I, I do feel like the collection as a whole does something that, a, that reading a story or two can't quite get to. Even beyond just the fact that the characters weave in and out of each other's stories, what were some of the unifying themes that you saw running across these that make them truly a whole instead of just all of these different pieces? For me, I think the biggest kind of thematic question the book was asking was about what is home? What does it mean to go home? What is home if the stability of the land isn't there? And then what creates that home? I was 100% primed to read it that way because my edition just has one quote on the back. (laughs) And the quote (laughs) is, the snow fell deeper that Easter than it had in 40 years. But June walked over it like water and came home. So, of course, when I picked up my book and read the back cover and saw that beautiful quote, 
I, I went into the book thinking about that, but I, I love that quote. And this is not a spoiler. This is jacket copy and happens in the first chapter. June's death is what begins this novel. And when she walked over the snow like water and went home, she, she freezes to death in that section. And so she's already seeming to ask that question of what is, what is home? June was on her way back home to her family who she hadn't seen in a while, but she doesn't make it, but she does make it in a different sense. And to me, I I loved those questions and observations about, about home and family throughout it. How about you? Mm -hmm. I love that quote that's on your edition. Aside from home, I mean, I think that the most obvious unifying theme here is the various shades of love. We have the title is Love Medicine. That is also the title of one of the sections. And it is mentioned as a concept in at least one of the chapters off the top of my head. And in the family tree, in the uh, key, you can already see that there are all sorts of complicated relationships. It has the key for symbols for a traditional Ojibwe marriage, a sexual affair or liaison, a Catholic marriage, children born from any of the unions, adopted children. Those are so, it's just so many different types of relationships and so many different types of love. And you can really see as these two families really fall in love with each other in different ways. Mm -hmm. You can see how to some characters love means loyalty and Mm -hmm. to some characters love means passion and to other characters love might mean returning home and it seems like each individual is really grappling with love and there are just so many different types of relationships to examine and truly the one thing that heals people from their various traumas is loving each other. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. One of the things that I really enjoy about a book with so many points of view and and stories is that it can offer multiple answers to a thematic question. Like there's no single there's no single answer that the book suggests to the questions about what what does it mean to love or or what is what is home it like contains multitudes and that feels so rich and satisfying to me as a reader I also just I'm not going to say what happens in (laughs) this chapter because it's towards the end but I think my favorite story or section was the good tears with Lulu and Marie towards the end. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, I, I found both women extremely compelling and completely different. I loved that story. I found it so redemptive and healing and, and just beautiful. I also really like how this is a story of two families and it's not a story about two families who are at war with each other or who are feuding. They have complicated relationships. They don't all like each other. They don't all get along. 
but they interact with each other and they swoop in and out of each other's lives and they have these, I keep saying the word real, but there isn't really any other way to put it. It seems, I mean, I don't know anyone who's part of a family feud (laughs) these days, right? Like I think that that really is, maybe there are, and I'm not aware of them, but it feels (laughs) like something that only exists in fiction. However, you can have like a family friend and I'm thinking like a whole family that your (laughs) family is friends with, right? To the point where they feel like part of your extended family. And you can really love these people and be frustrated with them and, you know, intermingle and fall in love with a member. Or, I mean, there's just all of these other complicated ways to that two families can interact with each other that aren't Hatfield and McCoy style feuds that feel so cheesy. And I really love that that's depicted in this book. Yeah. I I mean, the, the word that I want to use about everything in the book is just, it's nuanced. The relationships Mm -hmm. are, the themes are, and that's almost always what I'm looking for in a great book. Like I, I, I want there to be ambiguity and questions and because it feels real as as you've said. I'm wondering just in general what your thoughts are on these sorts of intergenerational stories and multiple points of view and whether we want to call this a novel or interconnected short stories, it, it certainly is a different reading experience than that more traditional novel do you gravitate towards those books or what's your general feeling on them the ones that I've read I've really enjoyed I don't think that it's been something that I have actively sought out but over the last couple of years when I think back on some of my favorite reading experiences those intergenerational stories do pop out I will say I I think the ones that are more like this where they have many different characters spanning a lot of time stand out to me more than just maybe like you know three characters who are each in different time periods and happen to be related to each other. I'm thinking you know the classic like historical fiction trope where you've got a niece who goes to visit an <laughs> aunt and the great aunt also did something. And then you've got like this lineage to follow. I Mm -hmm. do like those stories, but to me, that's so much different from this kind of sprawling and like expansive generational story. Part of what I like about these is they can tell the entire story of a time period. Mm -hmm. There's history in the background here and we get the story of entire decades of historical events, but it's not about the historical events. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And whenever I read books that are told in that's in this kind of structure, I think a lot about Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's TED Talk, "The Danger of a Single Story." And have you listened to that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I love that one. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a <laughs> so classroom <good>. staple. <laughs> uh huh. As it should be. Yeah, where she talks about how. If you only read one book about a particular culture or a particular time period, then you certainly don't have the whole picture. You have a a single story and that is limiting. And 
even though this book is all from the mind of Louise Erdrich and, and should not be the only book anybody reads about Ojibwe culture or Native American experiences, it still feels like she's kind of working against that single story by offering us so much nuance and so many varieties of characters in a single work itself. Since we're talking about the characters and their relationship, I loved this note from the author at the end of my version where she she says... Since writing Love Medicine, I have understood that I am writing one long book in which the main chapters are also books, and then she lists those book titles because it's kind of like a series that she has going. The characters appear and disappear in my consciousness, a lamentable, messy place. If you read on in the other books, you will find that the people in Love Medicine live out destinies invisible to me as I wrote this first book although I sometimes wish that these imagined people would speak in a linear fashion. I can only truly be grateful they come back at all. I write about them as they present themselves. I really have no choice in this matter. That they keep returning insistent and surprising is a strange gift. Indeed, they have not finished with me yet. She wrote that as of 2009. Yeah, I had the same note in my (laughs) book, and I also marked that passage. Yeah, I I loved that. And I think that, of course, speaks to what we mentioned at the very beginning about how she's gone back and added and revised. And that is one fascinating element of writing in a nonlinear style and with this kind of short stories as novel structure that she uses is you can go back. And it's not that she just tacked on stories to the end, like the, the stories that she added are dispersed throughout and she she added backstories for some characters and futures for others and it's just fascinating to be able to go back and do that and it to me is kind of reminiscent of like a more oral tradition of storytelling where you can add on and revise depending on who you're telling the story to or or how the characters have returned to you since the last time you told the story. Yeah, it's a testament to the fact that to her, these are living, breathing people that are living in her consciousness and have spoken to her. And I am always fascinated when authors talk about characters speaking to them or appearing before them. I I mean, I am certainly not a fiction writer, but I have had ideas for stories, but I've never had like characters pop up and start talking to me. And I know for some authors, it's a very real experience and I'm always interested in those stories. And so I I just love that note. I mean, we've been talking about how real these characters feel and it's no wonder if they feel real to the author that she would be able to translate that and that she feels like, oh, I'm just the conduit for them to tell their stories. But I mean, we've got to give her credit because she's such a beautiful writer and storyteller. Oh, absolutely. I would love to hear from listeners who've read other Erdrich books or stories. I definitely want to read a few more myself now that I've kind of got my bookends <laughs> first and most recent you said you might pick up the night watchman on audio so I'm curious what else you've been listening to recently I have been listening to transcendent kingdom oh this my week. gosh is it and good on so, audio 
<laughs> Bonnie Turpin narrates it. What? So of course it's amazing. Okay, well I need to do a reread soon then. <laughs> She's one of my favorite narrators. Like if she is listed as narrator for the book, it's just an automatic download for me. So when I saw that Transcendent Kingdom was available from Libro FM and I saw her name, I was like, okay, well, I feel like I definitely need to read this one via audio. I have been finding lately that literary fiction works really well for me on audio, and so I'm just leaning into that, but it's it's really good. What are you listening to right now? So I have been using my Libro FM membership to help me get through Aspen Word submissions because I have a lot of reading on my plate. So I've recently listened to The Pull of the Stars, Barn 8, and Migrations. I have been just powering through so many books on audio, but it makes it way more enjoyable that I'm not just spending hours on my Kindle and get to listen to somebody else read me a story now and then. We really love Libro FM over here. We don't make that a secret at all by any means. (laughs) (laughs) And their app is super easy to use. I feel like the updates that they made to their app over the last year have made for such a pleasant listening experience. And I love them, of course, because through my Libro FM membership, I'm able to support independent bookstores. So if you would like to switch to a Libro FM audiobook subscription today, listeners of the Novel Pairings podcast can get two audiobook credits for the price of one by going to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and using our promo code Novel Pairings. You can also click on the link in our show notes and feel good about supporting local bookstores while you listen to your audiobook on your walk. All right, Chelsea, I am really excited to talk pairings for Love Medicine. Do you want to share your first pairing? Sure. My first pairing for Love Medicine is The Break by Katharina Vermet. And Vermet is a Canadian author of Métis descent from Winnipeg. And her novel is an intergenerational family saga, so that's the first clue about pairing things with love medicine. We've got a lot of family sagas here. (laughs) And it revolves around trauma. It is told from 10 different characters' perspectives. The writing is amazing. My friend Ruthann described it as brutal and beautiful, and There are a lot of triggers to be aware of in this book. It opens with the investigation of an alleged rape. And right away you get hints that the young mother who witnessed the situation might be holding some trauma of her own. But there isn't anything too graphic. And a lot of reviews for this novel emphasize that everything is really well handled. That although there is violence and trauma, it is written in such a way that even if those things might be triggers for you, it's it's handled gently while still being a really intense book, an intense read. It's a heartbreaking book. It doesn't have the lightness that I think love medicine manages to hold, but I think it's a great book to dive into next if you've loved any of Urchich's novels. It has love and kinship at the center as The women in the novel survive and lean on each other for help. And I've been finding, I don't have any data and numbers on this, but as I've been seeking out more 
Indigenous voices in literature. I find that Canadian lit is far more expansive in publishing Indigenous authors. Hmm. So I have really been loving Canadian lit in general, but when seeking out specifically Indigenous voices, I've just found a lot of treasures across the northern border. And I I do find that many of the themes and histories of Indigenous Canadians relate to U.S. Indigenous issues that, I mean, the histories are super similar, but that's just a note that I think Canada is, at least in the publishing aspect, not in the government aspect, they're doing a, a better job of sharing Indigenous stories. That's really interesting. I'd really be curious to know about their school curriculum in that regard as well. Me too. Um, I will bring up some more Canada Canada books <laughs> later on in this episode, but I'm really excited to hear you talk about this first book on your list because it's definitely on my to-be-read list. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much, and I think you'll love it too. <laughs> so my first pairing is Crooked Hallelujah by Kelly Jo Ford, and I actually finished this book right before I started Love Medicine, and I'm just so glad I read them back to back. They pair so well. So this is a brand new 2020 release, and it's a debut novel. It is long listed for the Center for Fiction prize for debut novels, and so I know it's getting critical acclaim, but based on just my bookstagram scrolling, I haven't seen it as much and so I really hope more people pick pick this book up. So the book is about primarily three generations of Cherokee women living in Oklahoma. So we have Lula and she is a devout member of the Holiness Church and it's a very conservative and very kind of all-consuming spiritual practice of of hers and she's raised three daughters primarily on her own. Her daughter, Justine, her youngest, is a beautiful and spirited girl who's both really sweet and naive, but also a little bit rebellious against her mother's expectations. And then we have Justine's daughter, Rini, and she was born when Justine was just 15, and so they have a really close, intimate relationship Throughout Rini's childhood, she and her mother Justine move back and forth between Texas, where Justine's husband lives, and Oklahoma to be with Lula and their family. And so Rini has a really complicated sense of identity and feeling like she belongs to the Cherokee Nation and at times feels a sense of otherness. The book pairs well with love medicine because of the generational family story, of course, but also these strong and fiercely loyal and incredibly complicated women. It's also told in a similar style, so interconnected short stories that really do make up the novel when you piece it together. There are a couple of stories that are told almost entirely outside of this family And then you see the main characters kind of on the periphery, which is really interesting, but gives you like a little glimpse into different aspects of of this community. And then the writing is just breathtaking. I mean, I 
think I posted a couple like pictures of the pages on Instagram because I just was blown away by Kelly Jo Ford's writing. The book also focuses quite a bit on natural disasters spurred by climate change, so it feels extremely timely right now. And Ford's descriptions of the power and terror of nature are just really beautiful. So I loved this book. I think it was a phenomenal debut, and that is Crooked Hallelujah by Kelly Jo Ford. I put it on hold at the library while you were talking about it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And and teachers out there, I really think you could bring this book into the classroom. All right, what's your next pairing, Chelsea? This one is a little out there. It's a poetry collection. You know I love an out there pick. I know. <laughs> Bear with me, people who don't like poetry, because this is Conflict Resolution for Holy Beings by Joy Harjo, who is our current poet laureate, who is such a great poet laureate that she was last year's and then was invited again to be the poet laureate for 2020. Oh, wow. She is a member of the Muskogee or Creek Nation in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So another book coming out of Oklahoma here. I was going to recommend her memoir, Crazy Brave, because Crazy Brave is very much a journey like love medicine where you just have to kind of go along for the ride. So Harjo in Crazy Brave, her memoir, will be telling a story from her childhood and then all of the sudden mid-story she'll be like oh I was just visited by the spirit of my ancestor and they're standing right here and they want me to tell you this and poetry infused with story and her memoir is incredible but I grabbed a collection of her poetry from the library and this one poem that I flipped to blew me away I'll read a few lines of it in a second but just know that the entire collection does such an amazing job at what I think poetry is really meant to do, which is provide detailed specifics that are so specific and detailed that it almost seems like, oh, these are this is too narrow. And yet somehow, because it is so specific, it can apply to a vast and diverse readership and basically apply to all of humanity. Because it's so specific, it's more widely applicable. And Harjo's poems are culturally and spiritually specific, but also broadly applicable and easy to connect with. And I really found the same to be true of love medicine, where Erdrich is writing about these specific people in a specific place, specific time, specific ethnicity, specific tribe. And yet, because of all of the details of their lives, it just felt like the themes were so applicable for for anyone. And so, like Love Medicine, this poetry collection is this tapestry of interconnected stories and human moments that really come together beautifully. These are a couple of lines from the poem, Calling the Spirit Back from Wandering the Earth in Its Human Feet. Don't worry. The heart knows the way, though there may be high-rises, interstates, checkpoints, armed soldiers, massacres, wars, and those who will despise you because they despise themselves. The journey might take you a few hours, a day, a year, a few years, a hundred, a thousand, or even more. 
Watch your mind. Without training, it might run away and leave your heart for the immense human feast set by the thieves of time. Do not hold regrets. When you find your way to the circle, to the fire kept burning by the keepers of your soul, you will be welcomed. That's just a couple of lines from the middle of that poem, and I highly recommend picking up the collection, at least from your library, just to read that specific (laughs) poem, because it knocked me over. It was so good. I love what you said about poetry and the specifics and the familiar. That's how nerdy we get over here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My second pairing is Sabrina and Karina by Kali Fajardo-Anstein. This is one, I actually mentioned it in last week's episode about the books we were most anticipating for fall. I talked about the types of short story collections that I tend to love, which often are collections that take place in a particular setting and really give you a sense of the complexity of life in the particular region. So Sabrina and Karina does just that. It mostly takes place in and around Denver. So I like it for its proximity to me. Denver doesn't show up in a lot of literary fiction, but it also extends to other parts of Colorado and the Southwest and Each story features Latina characters with indigenous ancestry. This one really is a true collection of short stories where they're not interconnected. They're not making up a whole narrative. They are individual stories. And so this is one that you could pick up, keep on your bedside table, read a story each night or as you you want to work your way through it. So various stories pair well with love medicine for different reasons. So the opening story, Sugar Babies, both addresses complex feelings around motherhood and some ambivalence about motherhood, but also looks at land rights in the American Southwest. The title story, Sabrina and Karina, is about a family who just can't break out of the cycle of violence against women, but also participates in these healing rituals and togetherness and this idea about the collective power of femininity really felt quite similar to love medicine to me but overall the the collection as a whole deals with the idea of of home denver and its outskirts are rapidly gentrifying areas and new zoning laws and developments are leading to the displacement of communities in Colorado who've called the area home for so long. And while gentrification is wildly different from termination of indigenous lands, both are really important. And I love the way this collection examines the concept of home through really sharp stories and very real characters similar to the characters that Erdrich creates. So I think both individually you'll find in Sabrina and Karina characters who have notes of Erdrich's characters and then as a whole it's examining similar themes as as love medicine. And I just love these stories. So that is Sabrina and Karina by Kali Fajardo-Anstein. All right, my last pairing here is a mutual favorite of ours. I was wondering when we were going to pair this because I feel like it's just been in our shared consciousness for so long and it was going to 
pop up sometime and I think you've picked the perfect place. Yeah, it felt inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> I And so much so that I typed it into the outline and then I was like, wait, have we paired this one already? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Home Going by Yaw Jesse, and we love this book. I know we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's not an official pairing until today. <laughs> But like Love Medicine, Homegoing spans generations and it's told in shifting perspectives, a bit like a collection of interconnected short stories. It also depicts the way that trauma gets handed down from generation to generation, the way colonization shapes generations of people at the continental level all the way down to individual lives and families. Homegoing also focuses on two families, much like Love Medicine, and follows their stories. In this case, Homegoing is about two half-sisters, Effia and Essie. And Effia marries an Englishman and lives in this big estate while Essie lives in the dungeons below. And this is in Ghana. And then Essie is sold in the Gold Coast slave trade. Both sisters... Just because Effia was married and lives, you know, up in the house doesn't mean that she wasn't imprisoned too. They're both imprisoned in their own way. And when Essie is sold, the story breaks off. And so it follows the threads of both sisters, their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren. There are a lot of characters to keep track of. A big family tree at the beginning of the book helps, just like Love Medicine, And although they have different settings, both homegoing and love medicine are excellent examples of post-colonial literature, and they're compelling stories with just impeccable characterization. And I think it's just astounding how these authors can craft such incredible characters in such a short amount of time. Because in Love Medicine, I mean, the, the chapters in the stories are not very long, maybe like 20 pages. Mm-hmm. Same in Homegoing. Each chapter follows a different character and you don't get a long time to get to know them. And yet they're so fully realized and excellent have excellent character arcs. So Homegoing by Ya Jesse, I think, would pair really well with Love Medicine. It's such a beautiful book. And I, I love what you said about how gifted these writers are who create that. One thing I've heard from a lot of readers about homegoing and I'm sure about love medicine is that they want to stay with each character for longer than the story. And I think that that is just the mark of of a great writer where you don't want to leave that, that character and they're so real in just a short amount of pages. So true. Okay, what do you have for a final pairing? So my final pairing, I wanted to get some nonfiction on here, and my final pairing is Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants by Robin Wall Kemmerer. Have you read this book? I haven't, but it's been on my radar for quite a while. Yeah, it's an older book, (laughs) and I feel like it's having a moment right now. Like I was listening to the Book Riot podcast recently, and... Rebecca, one of the hosts, was talking about how she reread it as a quarantine read because it was very 
soothing. And it really is. It'd be a great book to pick up right now when we're kind of trapped in our homes and need both something soothing and something inspiring, but also something with beautiful nature imagery. Braiding Sweetgrass has all of that. I do have to admit that initially this pairing came to me because my edition of Love Medicine, the cover has the words Love Medicine spelled out in braided sweetgrass. And so every time I look at the book, I I thought about braiding sweetgrass and I was kind of hoping that a more thematic connection would come and it did. So (laughs) Um, Robin Wellkemmer, she's a botanist and in her field of study, of course, she examines the natural world through the scientific method and using tools and logic, not necessarily to exert control on the natural world, but certainly to break it down into tiny pieces and and really understand it. And in some ways, this runs counter to the way she was raised to experience nature. As a member of the citizen Potawatomi Nation, in that realm of her life, plants and animals are our oldest teachers, according to Kemmerer. And so throughout the book, she kind of brings these two identities and ideologies together. She doesn't really pit them against one another. She can, she braids them together, as the title suggests. And she offers really beautiful wisdom about how to live well and how to awaken what she calls an ecological consciousness. The book pairs well particularly with Lulu's chapters of love medicine and Lulu's descriptions about loving the whole world and wanting to simultaneously take the world in and be taken in by it. And her sections of and descriptions really brought to mind braiding sweetgrass. I also just think this book is so important right now as we see so many parts of the West Coast on fire and are just being reminded once again of the need to change the way we relate to the environment if we want to continue on our planet. Also, there is a beautiful new edition of the book coming out on October 13th from Milkweed Press. It has new illustrations and a brand new foreword by the author, So if the book has been on your radar for a while, now is definitely the time to pick it up. So that is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Chelsea, we've talked a lot of books and we're definitely bumping up against time, but do you want to offer us a quick pick of the week? I do, and this is my way of sneaking in another book pairing. (laughs) That's basically what these have become, (laughs) although I have a podcast today. Um, so from the very first chapter or the very first story of June in Love Medicine, I right away thought of this book. It's nonfiction, Seven Fallen Feathers, Racism, Death, and Hard Truths in a Northern City by Tanya Talaga. This is the other Canadian book that I I referenced earlier. Yes. So Tanya Talaga is an incredible journalist, and this book is about seven different missing or presumed dead teens in Canada um, and all around Ontario and all Indigenous teens. This is this is heavy, heavy read, 
But I will say that Talaga's storytelling and her reporting is so compelling. I devoured this book in a few days. And then I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And I this was a couple of years ago that I read it. That sounds like it would go well with my podcast pick as well, which is This Land. It's produced by Crooked Media, hosted by Rebecca Nagel, and it follows the Supreme Court case Sharp versus Murphy. And this was a case of a stabbing. One man stabbed another and, and left him to die. Both of the men were members of the Muskegee Nation. And the public defender argued that the murder itself took place on Muskegee land, which meant that the state of Oklahoma should not have jurisdiction over the case. But the state argued that the reservation no longer existed because of allotment, which was this process of basically terminating indigenous lands and selling them to white people who were moving to the area. And so this podcast does a fantastic job of taking this particular Supreme Court case, but using it to look at indigenous land disputes and allotment and termination and really looking in depth at the ways the U.S. government continues to suppress indigenous cultures through these legal proceedings revolving around land. There are eight episodes and then I believe the case was resolved right when she finished and then she released another episode kind of looking back at it. So um, highly recommend this this podcast. Yeah, you can download that wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll put a link in the show notes to This Land hosted by Rebecca Nagel. All right. I'm really glad that we got to read Love Medicine. We didn't read it in high school, but I'm glad that we read it and got to talk about it now. And we can't wait to hear all about your experiences with Love Medicine. And if you are loving the Novel Pairings podcast, a great way to support us is to share Novel Pairings in your Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And of course, while you're there, you can follow us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod for news announcements, bonus book recommendations. We started making some reels, so (laughs) (laughs) we're trying. (laughs) Every now and then, you can see the 15 second clip that we spent an hour and a half creating. And of course, we would love to know whether you pick up any of the pairings we recommended today, so be sure to tell us what you think. And of course, you can keep spreading the word about novel pairings by sending your friends a link or writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance on this episode and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode all about campus novels. Until then... We declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a